faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? So this morning we're starting a brand new message series called Quarantined. And it really kind of came to me as I was considering doing a message series on Bible passage that is, um, is on first glance, it's, it's pretty concerning, it's, it's pretty troubling. Not that, like, it shouldn't be in the Bible, but it's just, it, it's a little severe and, and it's a little harsh. Um, it, it's God warning us to have nothing to do with a certain type of people. And that's just not something that you're normally used to maybe hearing that God says or that you would hear in church uh, to have nothing to do with a certain type of people. But that's what this passage talks about. And it's going to be the basis of what our message series is going to be over the next six weeks or so. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 5. And I'll read it to you. You can follow along on the, scr on the screen. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal and not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. This is the part that's somewhat hard to even wrap our minds around. Scripture says, have nothing to do with people such as these. I mean, that's some strong words, have nothing to do with such people. I mean, we, we could understand if it was like, you know, have nothing to do with the, the murderers, have nothing to do with the, the rapists, uh, have nothing to do with evil people. If, if, if the Scripture said that, like, I, I mean, we would understand it. But it's saying that there's going to be these people that have a form of godliness but they, they deny its power, it's not real, and they'll also have these different qualities and characteristics, and it says, have nothing to do with these people. What that means, you know, people that have a form of godliness that, that appear to be good, that appear to be godly, uh, but aren't, that means that, like, some of this are going to be people that, that claim to be Christian, that, that there's this appearance of godliness, but, but they deny its power, and, and they have these qualities and characteristics have nothing to do with them. There's going to be people, and we all know people like that, 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 that they've got good points and they've got bad points, right? And we're, we're willing to dismiss their bad points because they have these good points. But Scripture says that for people that have these qualities and characteristics, uh, it doesn't matter that they have a, a form of godliness. They're actually dangerous, have nothing to do with them. 
It might even be pastors of churches that Paul's talking to Timothy about. He says that in the last days, that's where we're at right now, that, that there's going to be terrible times because this is going to exist in a way that it never really has throughout all of human history. Now, why? Why is, why is Paul telling Timothy that for people who have a form of godliness, who, who appear to be good, but, but have these qualities and characteristics, have nothing to do with them, why, why is it so harsh? Because whenever you mix good and bad, it, it's hard to determine which is which. When you think about how Satan caused man to fall into sin, what he did is he, he took some of God's Word and, and he mixed it with lies and, and, and man fell for it. Satan can come across as an angel of light, a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, that when you mix a form of godliness with, with, with something that's destructive and, and evil and bad, it becomes all the more dangerous. And so I'm going to have a public service announcement to illustrate a point. Borax, right? If you ever have sugar ants, this is what you need to use. This will kill sugar ants, but guess what? It doesn't kill sugar ants by itself. What you got to do is you got to mix borax, equal part borax, with an equal part sugar. You got to put some warm water in. You got to mix it together. And then you just pour it out where those sugar ants are. You put, you know, some cotton balls in it or whatever, some paper towels, soak it, and they'll be gone like within a day. Some of you are like, wow. See, you do learn some things at church. But the point is, is the ants aren't going to eat the borax straight up. What they need is they need the sugar. It's the sugar that's going to draw them in to eat it, and there then they become poisoned. That's what Paul's warning about. He says people that have a form of godliness, it's the sugar, it's what draws us in, but, but the, they deny its power, and they have these qualities and characteristics. If they were just obviously evil, we, we would know to stay away. So when I was thinking on this, this, this text, of, of had nothing to do with such people. I, you know, what came to my mind is like, you, you got to quarantine yourself from them or them from you. You know, we, we, we just got out of, you know, a couple years of COVID, and the concept is this, is that you have to quarantine the sick people or, you know, separate the sick from, from the healthy. Why? Because the healthy can become sick from, from being around them. And if that works on a physical level, that's also the same concept on a spiritual level. That's why Paul's saying that if they have a form of godliness, but if they appear to be good, but they deny its power and they're really not godly and they have all these characteristics, quarantine yourself, have nothing to do with them because it can be detrimental to you spiritually. Now, the passage I read to you, there's 18 qualities and characteristics listed there. As Paul's like listing all these out, the good news is I'm not going to give you 18 sermons based upon this text. I know like if, if I did more than like 7, 8, 10, like, like it's easy to check out, like it gets old. So I'm just taking my six favorite over the next six weeks. I might cover some of the others on my podcast that I do midweek, but for this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just, I'm going to start with the first one that Paul speaks about. 
He's like, you know, mark this. There's going to be terrible times in the last days. We're in those last days. And he says what? People will be lovers of themselves. Now, the first thing that comes to my mind when I read that is like, when, when weren't people lovers of themselves? I mean, when Paul wrote that to Timothy, did people not like love themselves in an unhealthy way? I mean, I don't know. But I do know this, that like it says, in the last days, it's going to become worse. It's going to become terrible, very, very difficult, bad times. And, and so I want to talk to you a little bit about how in today's society we love ourselves in a way that we never have before probably in human history. But you know that, and, and, and I talk about that often, so I don't expect that I'm going to really, you know, change your mind or, or say something that would be like, wow, that, you know, I never thought of that. But the second half of the message, I want to say something that I, I think honestly will be jaw-dropping to some of you. And I really hate to, like, over-promise and under-deliver, but as I was working on this message this week, I, I was shocked at this, that this concept of loving oneself that, that Paul warns Timothy about, it's actually crept its way in the church. And I think I'm going to show you some videos this morning to illustrate that, that are, like, it's going to blow your mind. But let's start with ourselves, right? We're the, we're the easy target. You know, and when I say, you know, it's a sign that we're lovers of ourselves. You guys all know where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with Facebook, right? That's the easy one. That's the low-hanging fruit. That's, you know, that we celebrate ourselves and everyone else celebrates themselves. Not only do we celebrate ourselves, we help them to celebrate themselves with our likes and everything like that. And we're relatively addicted to Facebook and social media. And it got me kind of thinking, I wonder how much time people spend on social media every day, on average, the average person. You know what I found out? The average person spends two and a half hours a day on social media. Some of you are like, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> if you spend two and a half hours a day on social media, in your lifetime, you will spend 3.4 million minutes on social media. And if you don't know how much 3.4 million minutes is, it means you will spend six years and eight months of your life, six years and eight months of your life celebrating self with social media. Let's just put that into comparison. You'll spend 3.7 years of your life eating and drinking. That's half of the amount of time we spend on social media. Not me. I will spend more time eating and drinking. I, I like that. You're, you're going to spend two years and two months of your life shopping. Now, mind you, you're going to spend six years and eight months on social media, but just two years and two months shopping. You're only going to spend one year and 11 months socializing. That's the funny thing, right? We'll spend one year and 11 months of our lives socializing, but social media is kind of the way we like to socialize nowadays. And this is the one that hurts. In your lifetime, you'll spend one year and eight months doing housework. But yet, you'll spend six years and eight months on social media. It's a lot of time but it's the world in which we live, a celebration of self. The other thing that I think illustrates celebration of self in, in our day and age more than any, any time throughout history is like the selfie, right? Now, if you're older like me, I mean, we didn't have 
cell phones when I was a kid, and you know the cameras that they had, you know, they didn't have that feature where you could turn it on yourself and see what you look like. So you wouldn't go to the Grand Canyon and take a picture of yourself. But what you would do is you go to the Grand Canyon, especially when you got to digital cameras. You know, you would take a picture and you would look at it, and you're like, man, that 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 doesn't capture the beauty of of what I'm seeing. And so you would take another. And it might not be uncommon that you would take 10 or 12 pictures of the Grand Canyon uh, because you're trying to capture the beauty of what you see. Now, we do a similar thing nowadays, but this is what we do. We go to the Grand Canyon and we take a picture of ourselves in front of the Grand Canyon, but we don't care about what the Grand Canyon looks like. It can take care of itself. But we will, we will, we will take multiple pictures, maybe 10 pictures of ourselves until our nose looks about right. That we look actually lighter than what we really are, or more handsome, or more beautiful what we are. And when we've just captured the light in the right place or whatever, that's what, it doesn't matter what the Grand Canyon looks like. Which made me wonder, like, what would it be like if, like, there were selfies in Jesus' day, and I, and I almost did this, but I didn't want to put the work on Joe. I almost said, Joe, all right, I, I want to take some pictures of myself. I need you to put a green screen behind me because I'm going to take some selfies in front of the Jesus in the manger, right? Or the feeding of the 5,000, like I was there, or, or the crucifixion, or the empty tomb. We would be like in front of the empty tomb. Look, this is me in front of the empty tomb. Oh, you can see the edge of the wing of that angel, but look at me. During the latter days, we're going to be obsessed with ourselves. We see that Facebook and social media, we see that, and that we used to take multiple pictures of God's creation. Now it's until we look right in front of it. And then, you know, the whole self-improvement thing, and I know that's just like a sensitive thing. And so, listen, I'm going to have confession with Pastor Greg before I start hammering on this one, okay? I've mentioned this before. I do take one pill a day that keeps me from going bald, all right? I do use gray-reducing shampoo, all right? I'm just, I'm being honest with you guys because now I can beat on you guys a little bit. Because now we have things that allow us to pull our skin back. And we spend a lot of money to do that or to lift our eyebrows. Or as I mentioned, to color our hair, we can make our lips bigger, our chest bigger, our butts bigger by injecting who knows what into them. The self-help industry is it's about self. That's a $13.2 billion industry, which is impressive, but not nearly as impressive as this. The global beauty industry is a $500 billion a year industry. Half a trillion dollars a year we spend on beauty products worldwide. If we spent $500 billion a year on world hunger or world poverty, can you imagine what we could do with that money? But this is what Paul's talking about, that in the latter days, I mean, there's probably always been love of self, but man, it's going to be love of self in biblical proportions, love of self on steroids. And it got me thinking, what we really need is we need a Copernicus revolution. And some of you are like, what's a Copernicus revolution? You see, Copernicus was the first person that figured, you, figured out, you know what? 
the, the, the planets and the sun, it, like, it, it doesn't all revolve around the earth. It actually revolves around the sun. And guess what? No one wanted to hear it. The church didn't want to hear it. In fact, you know, he was put under house arrest, if I remember right, for suggesting such a heresy that everything actually revolved around the sun rather than the earth. And that's the world in which we live today. We need our own Copernicus revolution that we understand that it's not about us and everything's not revolving around us. Because we do. You can see it wherever you look. Far too many in the world today just think it's about us. Look at, go back to COVID. The reason that we couldn't find toilet paper wasn't like all of a sudden, like at the very early days, they didn't produce as much. Maybe like later when people weren't going to work, but initially it wasn't the problem. People were just concerned about them and they bought it off the shelves and you couldn't find meat and you couldn't find anything. Why? Because people were only concerned about themselves. L- listen, you see that in, in every Black Friday, right? The day after Thanksgiving when they have sales, they will mark the TVs or the electronics or whatever down to just 20% of their normal cost, and people will literally run over other people. People will literally cause bodily harm to other people in order to get that for themselves. We're living or about to live in a very terrible time right now because globally, but especially in this country, inflation is out of control. Why should that matter to you? Because if this is like the late 70s, what happened is they couldn't control inflation, so what they had to do is they had to raise interest rates up to 18% to basically break people, to make people not have money so that they stop spending so that all of a sudden you had products again. We can't do that now. We, we, we can't, they speculate, go above like 7 or 8% because upwards of like 9 or 10%, we would bankrupt our country because we have so much debt now that we didn't have then that, that we will bankrupt ourselves. Why? Because we don't care about our children. We only care about us. We want the lives that we can live with all the amenities and all the handouts and all this and that. We want it and we want it now. And so we've increased a debt load that we, like... We can't, we can't afford ourselves, let alone burden our kids with it. And, and it's going to be very interesting how this all plays out. You know, we, we saw it with the whole, like, uh, abortion debate. It, like, even before the, the Supreme Court ruling, I was shocked going into Father's Day. I've, I, I've lived through 50 Father's Days, you know, as a human being, and I've never heard, like, abortion promoted during Father's Day. Everyone's coming out with their abortion stories. Before Father's Day, it was article after article of these fathers that were celebrating abortion. They were on TV shows, you know, segments on Good Morning America. Why? Because if I hadn't gotten, if, if, if my partner hadn't gotten an abortion, I wouldn't have finished school. If my partner hadn't gotten an abortion, I, I would never have you know, made it through law school. I wouldn't be able to provide for my family like I do now. I wouldn't be the dad that I am now. I wouldn't be the husband that I am now. I would have been able to take that trip you know, uh, to Europe or to Hawaii that, where I met you know, who this person was. I mean, all these things like kill the kids, it doesn't matter because it, it, all that matters is, is ourselves. Run over people on a Black Friday sale because all that really matters is ourselves. This is what Paul's saying that in the last days, it's going to be a horrible time. And people have probably always been a lover of self, but in a way that, that probably never before in all of human history were lovers of self. Now, that's the part that you knew. Now for the part that I'm really excited to talk about that 
what isn't quite as clear, and it was a shock to me as I kind of worked through my message, is that this is deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in the church too. And if you think you're immune, you're not. And what I'm about to say to you might sting a little bit, but if I'm not up here and I'm by you, I did the exact same thing when I walked in this morning. How many of you, when you came in this morning, thought, I wonder where I want to sit? I mean, you're coming in to worship God, but you thought, I wonder where I want to sit. Some of you are like, I want to see where that person is. That's not who I want to sit by. Some of you came in the, this morning and said, they're in my seat. How many of you came in this morning like, I hope that message speaks to me? And how many of you came in this morning thinking, I, I hope they sang some songs that I, they sing some songs that I like? You see, we, we come here on a Sunday morning. We do it on Sunday because it's on Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. So every Sunday we come to worship God, and it's about Him, but subtly we even make it about ourselves. And church in general has become not about God. You see, we built the buildings for Him, to honor Him, the great cathedrals and whatever, you know, ornate whatever, to honor God. But it's really come about to honor ourselves. I had a couple people mention to me about a billboard sign last week, and they knew it was going to rile me up, and it did. And it so happens it fit my message this week. So, like, I went out and, to find it and take a picture of it. Let me show you a picture. This is a church advertising their church. Now, we took out the name of the church because I don't want to start a church war. Some of you have gone to this church. Some of you have family members go to this church. I'm not trying to needlessly offend you. So I've taken the name off. If you really want to see the name, don't ask me. Go look, you know, where Academy is, you know, on 377 North Tarrant. Look up. It's right there, okay, if you really want to know. But it's a big church. It's a nice church. And this is how they're advertising the church. We're serious about having fun. You got the person like rock climbing or rappelling over there. You got like some different sports and activities. Everyone's smiling. That is like, who comes up with a marketing strategy for a church we're serious about having fun? That's like Six Flags or Disney saying we're serious about worshiping. I mean, have you seen one of those? No, it makes no sense. Why would a place that's about having fun be serious about worshiping? Well, why would a place that's serious about like worshiping and, and, and telling the truth about God be about having fun? I mean, is like the fact that, that God sent his one and only son in this world because he loved you so much, he created you in his image, he wanted to redeem you, that he was willing to send his son into this world to suffer and die and give you forgiveness of sin so that, that through him and through faith you'd have eternal life. Is that not good enough that we got to have like fun? Now that makes it all worth it. But that's what we've done, and that's what we've made church into being because that's what brings in the crowd. So it's not about the gospel message. It's not about truth being taught. It's, it's about rock walls. It's about comfortable seating. It's about having air conditioning that, that you don't have to sweat. You know, it's really nice when they have coffee shops and bookstores. Listen, any large church has to have small groups because the blood of Jesus isn't going to quite do it. But if you got small groups, now you're talking. It's about having large events for the whole family. 
And I'm here to tell you, gas prices are high. I, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, this fall, see, falls when people go move into the area and they start school. Falls when people, like, you know, kind of kind of commit to going back to, uh, to church and so forth. I promise you there's going to be a church in the area that's going to be giving out free gas cards, you know, maybe $50 gas cards to visitors. And we don't care. Like, that sounds like a good idea. Like, the blood of Jesus and forgiveness of sins won't get you off your butt and come to church, but a $60 tank of gas will. This is what we've done to the church. It's become about us. We've replaced God with gimmicks. Not only has church become about us, we've really made worship about us. I had a buddy send me a video a week or two ago, and he wanted my opinion on it. And he knows me well enough, he should have known my opinion. And it was like, a 50, it was like maybe a 20-minute video, I think. I only made like a few minutes into it, and I, I had to stop because I was just so annoyed at what I heard. And I called him up, and I'm like, why are you sending me this stuff? Are you just trying to get me worked up? And I'm like, it's Saturday. I'm trying to learn my sermon for tomorrow. Why, you know, why are you bugging me with this? And he's like, no, I just wanted your opinion. This is that. And, and I want to show that to you, but, you know, that got Joe to thinking, hey, that reminds me of another video that we showed one time, which I didn't even remember showing, but he got me worked up about that, so you're about to see two videos. Go ahead. Praise and worship such powerful weapons of spiritual warfare. Phil Driscoll unveils the spiritual laws of sound and shares some of his music with us. Well, today's guest is a world-renowned trumpet player, singer, and composer who's known for his anointed, soulful, and passionate music. Today, he's here to share some of that with us, along with some amazing revelations the Lord has given him about praise and worship. There's a reason why... God commanded us to praise him. It's not for God's benefit. God won't go broke whether or not you praise him. He'll not be sad. He'll not be down. Because praise is in the earth the dominion principle that God established. When he gave man dominion over the earth, that's why, let's take a shout, for example. What is a shout? A shout is the loudest sound any person can ever make. I'll probably destroy the mic. Ah! That is a, that is a life energy force yes. that takes dominion wherever it is heard. I know this. Praise, is a, praise creates a force field. And a force field that destroys things that are against light. Because that's what makes 
God happy. Amen. Let's open our heart to Him today. Father. This is some of the largest churches in this country. Worship isn't for God, it's for yourself. He just wants you to be happy. Phil Driscoll, like God's given them, oh, well, let's listen to the revelations that God's given them on worship. You know, you need to send those revelations back. It's not from God. You know, God doesn't need our worship. You know what? God doesn't need our worship. A king doesn't need your worship. But you know what? The, the king's owed your worship, so you get on your knee before the king and you bow down because he doesn't need it. He's not going to cease to be a king if you don't. He, he's not going to go and cry in his bed if you don't, but he's owed it, so, so you honor him. That God doesn't need our worship, but worship is for him. It, it's, he's owed it. He's due it. He deserves it. And, and then he talks about like, like worship is, is, is our power and the power of the voice, and it's, it's our dominion, and, 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 and it's like a, a, a force, right? It's a, it's, it's a force to protect light from darkness. Like heck it is, man. When we leave, if you were cussing your family out before you came here, you're going to be cussing your family out on the way out. If you're an alcoholic this weekend, you're going to be an alcoholic next weekend. I mean, if you're looking at porn, whatever, you're going to—we like, we just worship, and then we go back to doing all the stuff we were doing anyways. There's no stinking force about it. Ridiculous. Oh. If I ever have a heart attack, it will be preaching on stuff like this. <laughs> and then, like, the bad one. I mean, that was bad. The one before that was bad, too, with the billboard and how we make everything out to being fun and worship about fun. But this is probably the this is probably the worst, is that in the church we, and this was the one that, well, they, these last two really both surprised me. Like, there's like this little God theology, and the way it goes is this, is, and this is being taught in some pretty significant churches in this country, is that you and I are God and man, like Jesus is God and man, and, and their way of understanding it is, is because God created us, we then are God's ourselves, that in the way that Jesus is God and man, so are we. And this is being taught in a lot of different churches. Check out these clips. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. And if our sound mind's intact, not just by the memorization of Scripture, but actually of becoming the very Word itself. God didn't want us to just memorize the Word. He wants us to become the Word. God wants our flesh to become the very Word that we say we know. He's actually making me actively become that very Word that I believe. That is that is blasphemy. Yeah. And you are not the identity of who your parents created you to be. Because God says that you have the DNA of Abba. Yes. You see it. It's the divine right. nature of Abba. Amen. The DNA. When I read in the Bible where he says, I am, I just smile and say, yes, I am too. You tap into who you really are. You know what the Bible calls you? It says you are a little Elohim. Yeah. You are a little God. So this God-like person inside of Benny Hinn right here has nothing to do with flesh and blood. He's a part of God. He's a little God walking in a, in a little body. You think you are gods. You think you are more than you really are. But don't you understand? That's what he's saying about us now. Like right now, you're looking at a person who is not just a person. Somehow, God is in me, and there's a sense in which I am like God and man all at once. Say after me, within me is a God-man. Say it again. 
within me is a God-man. Now let's say it even better than that. Let's say I am a God-man. Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Watch this from Creflo Dollar. Now, in verse 26 and verse 27, God now submits himself to this principle of everything producing after its own kind. And in verse 26 and 27, let's read it out loud. Ready? Read. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now that's interesting because if everything produces after its own kind, we now see God producing man. And if God now produces man and everything produces after its own kind, If horses get together, they produce what? And if dogs get together, they produce what? If cats get together, they produce what? But if the Godhead gets together and say, let us make man, then what are they producing? They're producing gods. Hit this thing real hard in the very beginning because I ain't got time to go through all this. But I'm going to say to you right now, you are gods, little G. You are gods because you came from God and you are gods. You're not just human. The only human part about you is this physical body that you live in. The real me is just like God. I'm sorry, but God did not get together with himself in the same way a couple horses get together with each other. It's horrible. And you have these pastors who've come out and just said, I'm a God, you're a God. But it's, it's in many more churches than just these. It's very subtle. You've heard like, like the whole like name and acclaim it type of teaching. Well, that comes out of this little God theology that God out of his, Driscoll talked about, Bill Driscoll, or Phil Driscoll, he talked about the power of one's voice when they speak. That, That God through his voice and the power of his voice called things into existence, spoke it into existence. Therefore, if you just name it with your voice, it it, it will be. This is what Joel Steen does at the start of I am this, I am that. It's declaring these things, it's naming them so that you can claim them. Because in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that's what God does by the power of his own voice. He calls it into being, and you and I can too, because we're little g-gods. And and this is where the prosperity uh, gospel comes from, this little God movement, because if you are a God, a a God shouldn't be poor, a God shouldn't be broke, a God shouldn't have heart disease, a God shouldn't have cancer. Therefore, if you are little G God, then then, then it's health and, and wealth and prosperity. 
And this is why Paul says that in the last times it's going to become so wicked and so evil. And it's why he says quarantine yourself. Have nothing to do with people who have a form of godliness that's being spoken about in church. These are Christians. These are pastors. But they deny its power because the power is in the gospel. It's not in this make-up stuff that they, when they try to make it out to be like about us. And if I'm not mistaken, that is the, the, the sin of humanity, is that when God created mankind, Satan said to Adam and Eve, don't you want to become like God? Don't you want to be a little G-God? Because well, God knows that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will become like him. You will become like God. And, and that's what led Adam and Eve into sin. And that's a sin of Satan himself because Satan was, was the most magnificent of all of God's angels, but it wasn't enough to be an angel. Satan wanted to be God himself. And so he tried to lead a rebellion against God because he wanted to be God and he was defeated and he was thrown out of heaven with all of his followers. We've come for full circle at the very beginning of creation. God's creation is trying to become like God and now we're encouraging it even in our churches. comes to my mind is something that Jesus said 2,000 years ago when he talked about the church of his day and how they go in like they're, they're, they're filling the churches, they're winning converts, but they're making them children of hell, Jesus says. Look at Matthew 23, 15. This is Jesus' words. He's saying this to the church of his day. Woe to you teachers of the law. Woe to you Pharisees and you hypocrites because you will travel over the land. You'll go across the sea. You'll give out gas cards at Easter uh, to win a single convert. But when you have succeeded in doing that, you'll make them twice a child of hell as you are. And so we take these churches that are extremely successful in the world's eyes that they're, they're having 20, 30,000 people attending them. I'm not saying everyone, but a lot of these are. And they'll do anything that it takes to bring people in. They'll, they'll make worship about them. They'll tell people, you know what, you're, you're like a god yourself. We'll, we'll, we'll put a you know, rock climbing wall. We'll, we'll make church fun. We'll do whatever we can. But in so doing, we're making them a child twice a child of hell than what they were before. This is why Paul says, have nothing to do with them. How more can he be clear than have nothing to do with such people? It's contagious. It's not only in the world, but the church has caught it. And just like a deadly virus will lead to death, this leads to spiritual death. You know, we need to we need to take our eyes off of ourselves. This is the problem, that in the last day, people are going to be lovers of selves, and we're just, we're spending too much time thinking about ourselves. We're spending too much time considering ourselves. We're denying one of the greatest commands, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, and elsewhere in Scripture when it says, don't consider yourself any more highly than you ought. In fact, think of others better than yourselves. We've forgotten that. And we're, we're more of a depressed society than what we've ever been before. More people are on, like, medicine because of their depression, because of their disillusionment. Why? Because we're always just looking at ourselves and how unhappy and how dissatisfied and, and, and how empty we are. There's no certainty in self. We're born today and gone tomorrow, you know, it, 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 and we don't even know when tomorrow's going to be. What we've got to do is we've got to take eyes off self 
and to turn our eyes on Jesus. Because when we turn our eyes to Jesus, now we have hope. We have hope that there's someone far more powerful than us that can help us in our time of need, but we have hope that even like if things don't resolve themselves in this life, that there's an eternal life that's to, to come that will be far better than the one that we're living right now. You know, when we look at Jesus, we find comfort. We find comfort because, listen, life can be difficult. But Jesus says, put your burdens upon me. He offers to carry them for us. You know, in Jesus, we'll find strength because, listen, in this world, we're going to be under attack. You're going to be under attack at work. You're going to be under attack in your family. You know, you're going to be under attack in every aspect of your life. Satan's going to be shooting flaming arrows at you. In Jesus, we'll have the strength to stand. And in Jesus, we'll have forgiveness of sins. You see, some of us kind of go through this through life saying, you know what, I know I was this way as a kid, but I haven't been that way since I was 20. Or yeah, though I've got this little thing in my life now and that little thing, I also do this, this, and this, and this, like it's on some sort of scale, like our good somehow outweighs our bad. No, that's just going to lead us to, to depression. But in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin because it's not based upon us, but it's based upon Him. And in Jesus, we have ultimately the assurance of heaven. And apart from him, there's just uncertainty and nothingness. It's time for us to take our eyes off, our, off of ourselves and turn our eyes upon Jesus. Gracious Almighty God, we just um, we come before you this morning realizing that we are lovers of self, all of us in here. We do it in this world, and unfortunately, it's made its way into the church. And we just pray, gracious God, that you'd help us to turn our eyes away from ourselves and the things of this world. And that, gracious God, that we would you care about others more than ourselves and that we would ultimately look to you for that peace and that comfort that so oftentimes eludes us in this life and the trials and the difficulties and the uncertainties that we face, gracious God. Um, we come before you this morning repenting of our selfishness and the fact that we, we love ourselves far more than what we should. And we just pray, gracious God, for not only repentance of that in this life, but especially in the church that the church would return to being about you rather than about worshiping for ourselves and somehow that we've taken that role of being God when you alone are God. Help us, gracious God, to um, find comfort, peace, and hope in you, in you alone. It is in your name we pray. Amen.